So Peter, nice to see you again. Uh, what have you been up to? So just uh, just the kind of usual, Neil, working away, and then on the weekends I've been doing a lot of cycling. Um, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, doing a lot of cycling, a lot, a lot of cycling. Um, and uh, I I used to do a lot of running, and to be honest with you, what was happening to me with the running was I would go. I would do about three months of running and everything would be fine. And then I just, I'd, my back would stiffen up. I'd just get a little bit of an injury. I'd have to go to physio and then I'd have to rest for a couple of months and then I'd have to start again. But I found with cycling, I don't get injured. I, it doesn't matter how much right. or how often I cycle or how much I push myself cycling. I, it doesn't... doesn't affect you. It doesn't, it do, it's not going to lead to an injury. So I've just started cycling a lot more. And to be honest with you, London's becoming an incredible place to cycle. Yes, yeah. there, there's a lot of like. Um, you wouldn't think so, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't think so. Like I, I'm discovering new places to cycle all the time. There, there's some great cycle tracks all along the River Thames. Like you know, so I'm near here in Clapham. You can go to Battersea and you can cycle all the way almost to Kew Gardens, wow. all along the river, and it's it's just and there's there's loads of people out cycling too. So when you go out cycling, I've been I've been cycling in London for seven years. And in the last few months, like the, the amount of people cycling now has 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 dramatically increased. Yeah, um, yeah. People cycling for just on the weekend. Oh, it's certainly a nice day for, for, for a cycle, isn't it? I mean, um, yeah. but tell us what you what are you doing at the moment with your your stand up comedy? I mean, you you must be the only. I might be might be wrong about this, so forgive me if there's anybody else out there who does the same as Peter. But you must. I'm think I'm assuming you're the only pharmacist stroke stand up comic there is in in the pharmacy sector. Is that true? I, I well believe it or not. An open mic level, on the lowest level of comedy, I have bumped into one or two other pharmacists. Wow, really? Who, Can you say who? Uh, who've done it. I, 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 can't, I, I, I don't know their names offhand, um, but, it, but I, have, I have bumped in, like, you know, because you, you, when you go to open mic, when you do comedy, you, you meet an awful lot of people. Yeah. But you don't yeah. meet them for a long time. And, and so basically, you, you know, you go to an open mic night, you sit in the audience, you, you speak for five minutes and then you watch the show and then you might hang around for five, ten minutes afterwards. So you, you, you kind of, you get to know a bit about people, but you don't actually talk to people a lot. Okay. So if right. someone goes up and they talk about being a pharmacist or yeah. whatever, like, so, so usually I might try to go up and say hello after and say, I'm a pharmacist and we might speak for a minute, but we wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily get to know each other too often. But they, they, they both, are they community pharmacists though, are they? In the, um, with one, one, the one person I, I can clearly think of uh, is he, he actually works in a, in a university. He's a pharmacist oh, okay. who, yeah. who teaches, yeah. in a, teaches in a university. I'm nearly certain I met a, a, another community pharmacist once, but I can't overly remember. On the circuit, is it? Well? Yeah, yeah. To be, to be yeah. honest with you, like, you, when, when you first start, like when you first start comedy and you're on the circuit, you make an effort to talk to everyone afterwards because you're trying to find out about more gigs and you're trying to find yeah. out about the circuit and you're trying to make connections and all that. But when you're going a little bit longer, like me, you, you don't want to hang around. Get in, get it done, get out. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, I've got this image of you doing yeah. the stand-up, then running back to the dispensary, doing no, some more medicines. <laughs> people, people do stand-up for lots of different reasons. Like Some people do it for the social side of things. It is a very sociable thing. Uh, you, you, you would have a lot of cases like this. You, you might have someone who, who, who's been divorced after many years and, and, and they don't have a huge social network of people to meet up with and hang out and they might start doing stand-up because you know you go along you can go any night of the week you go along there's 20 or 30 people there you can have a drink with people afterwards you can chat mm. so, so so some people just do it for that for that kind of social yeah. side of it 
Uh, other people kind of do it for therapy to kind of help rebuild their confidence so socially. So there is a, there is this whole social side to stand up, but for but for, it was never that for me. Like I was very much. Uh, I looked at stand-up and I decided I want to do it and my approach to stand-up was very much like someone who would approach going to university. I saw it as this was a topic, this was a, a career, a profession, a skill set yeah, that yeah. I wanted to learn. I went on Amazon and I bought every book you could buy about the theory and the science of stand-up and I read them. How old were you then, at that point? Uh, I was 35. 30, so, 34, 35. So you were a pharmacist first and then you got the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but having said that, like, comedy was always something, uh, it was always something I wanted to do. Uh, it was always something I believed I could do. I think if you, if you said to people who, who I went to school with, who haven't seen me since we were in school, and you said, do you think he, do you, do you know what he became in his life or whatever? And then if they said no, and then you said, do you think he became a pharmacist or a comedian? Yeah. I think they would all say comedian. They wouldn't say pharmacist. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think... Why is that? I don't know. I think my per- my personality and I think who I am is more typical of a comedian than it is of, of a pharmacist. Okay, that's uh, interesting. I, yeah. I, I uh, like... There's no time to joke in pharmacies, so that's a very serious... Uh, I, 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 the other I, way around. I don't, ag- I don't agree with that either. Oh, really? I don't agree oh. with that either. Um, and I think when I first qualified as a pharmacist, uh, you, we did a lot on the course about uh, like how to interact with patients and how to and how to interact with patients. And and I know when I first qualified as a pharmacist, I I spoke to patients in a very sterile textbook way, and it, uh, I I started to feel that it, it wasn't I, I I wasn't fully benefiting them. It didn't feel natural. It didn't feel natural. Uh, it felt it felt like it was creating barriers. Uh, it didn't feel natural. It didn't. It didn't. I didn't feel comfortable because I was. I was effectively trying to communicate in a way that wasn't natural to me. Mm. That didn't suit me. That that was. I suppose in many ways it's dishonest to who I am because I was speaking in a way that I don't speak. Yeah. yeah. And and then I started to realize like you know the the people who are coming in looking for health advice and different stuff like that. They're, they're not like textbook people either. No, they're normal no. They're human normal beings. Human exactly. beings like, <laughs> who actually yeah. like a bit of a laugh yeah, and yeah. like someone to talk to them in a human, stripped down, normal way. Oh, that's interesting. And, and, I, and I found when I, when I it, it took me a while. I think, I'd say it took me about two years of talking to patients and thinking, I shouldn't be talking to them like this. I should be talking to them in a more natural, human way. Yeah. And there's certainly nothing wrong with having a little bit of a laugh. So how long has it now been since you have, have had your new approach to, to oh, talk to so, patients? Oh, so, like I'm qualified 13 years, so 10, 11 years, 10, 10, years. 10, 10 really? 11 right, years, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Making 10, patients uh, laugh and... Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and the thing <laughs> about it is like, you know, the, having that human connection, it, it builds rapport and it does build trust. And the, yeah. the simple fact of the matter is, why should anyone believe anything we have to say? That's what you have to ask. Like, why should they believe us? I come into the pharmacy, right? Um, I don't understand how drugs work. I'm a patient. I don't understand how drugs work. I I have to take I have to take what you say. At face value, yeah. At face value, yeah. And and there's you know if you there's lots of reasons why you shouldn't take what we say at face value. Drug companies have misled people in the past. They've got caught doing it. Yeah, but is there not a- like so if you 
if I wanted to convince people not to trust big pharma and not to trust pharmacists and not to trust doctors, I could easily do it. If I, I, could, I could get a course, I could get people to come to my house every week for an hour every week and I could hit them with case study after case study after case study where uh, medicine was dishonest and misleading. And if that was all you were ever told about medicine, then you wouldn't believe any of it, you wouldn't trust any of it. Yes. But the truth of it is, it's not that clear cut because while there has been bad things done and there has been misleading, overall, the majority has been beneficial. Yeah. Overall, it is good. But isn't isn't the pharmacist white coat enough for that, no, to have for that kind uh, of um, in, authoritative in, in trust? Theory, in theory, yeah, but in practice, no. No. In practice, no. no. In, uh, mm. Practice one hundred percent, no. And then and then also there's other factors to it because particularly when you're in a city like London, that's a very multicultural city. There are different ethnic groups and different minorities who have been completely treated yeah. unfairly by authority. Have been con- completely treated unfairly by the state and everything like we've that. Seen that we? yeah, and we've seen that. So why? Years. So why should they trust? So you have to gain that trust, and the only way you can gain that trust is by being honest. Yeah. And the only way you can be honest is by being yourself. But do you, do you think? I mean, I'll ask you two. To the first part of the question is: Do you? I mean, do you? Do you do you crack jokes for patients? Or how do you how do you Yeah, you look at you you look at you feel it out, like you feel it out. Do you know what I mean? Like it and it depends on the situation. Like I wouldn't crack jokes with every patient and it depends on what yeah. they're coming in and talking to you. And sometimes yeah. some issues are too tense and too serious. You certainly wouldn't do you know what I mean? Like you you know mm. but there's other times where yeah, why not? Can you give an example of a joke? Uh, uh, like Listen, like I've no specific examples, but like there's, I have customers who every time they come into the shop, we have a laugh and a joke. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've, I've a guy who comes into me. You like this? I have a guy who comes into me every week, and he will stand in the shop for an hour and a half, talking football to me and slagging me off about Man United and telling me how great Chelsea are and how Chelsea are going to win everything. That's not comedy, that's, de- that's delusion, basically. That's delusion. <laughs> but, you know, like, this isn't, a, this isn't an untypical thing. Like, working in a pharmacy, you have to have a laugh. Yeah. Like, you have to interact with people. Like, you, if you do the whole straight, you know, white coat, I'm authority, straight face, uh, textbook communication, oh, that, I, I couldn't work like that. I couldn't, it's, that's horrific. But do you think you're... Kind of unique, a one off no, one sense. No. Do you think? I mean, do you think it takes a, 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 a learning to? Because some, some pharmacists are. It, no, it takes. Quite, okay, it takes. Le- I think. I think it takes learning. I think it just takes a few years to become comfortable with yourself. It takes a little bit of time to, you know, when you qualify, you're told this is what a pharmacist is. A pharmacist is A, B, C, and D. You know, they're professional, yeah. they're reliable, they're integrity, and you have to be all of those things, right? But you can also be yourself. You 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 have to find a sweet spot in the middle. Where you can, you can show your personality. You can show who you are. You can have a bit of a laugh, but you're keeping that integrity and professionalism. And I think what happens is it just takes a few years to find that point. Mm. But I would say most pharmacists get there. Oh, okay, right. even even say. maybe the older generation of pharmacists yeah, are oh, a bit I, grumpy and miserable. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe some of the older generation are even better at it because yeah. they're more they're more comfortable talking to other people. But I do think mm. most pharmacists do get there, and I do think if you if you spoke to pharmacists up and down the country, the relationship they have and the friendships they have with some of the patients is incredible. Yes, like yeah. absolutely incredible. Like, yeah. you know. Um, there would be, you would be talking to people who don't really have other people to talk to. Yeah. So do you, let's turn that, let's flip that on, on its head a little bit and sort of, you, we're talking about comedy in the pharmacy, but on the other side of the scale, do you, do you, 
do you talk about pharmacy in your stand? I mean, do you use pharmacy? Are there pharmacy jokes? About, there are. You know? there, there, there are. There, like, there's no kind of like obviously in comedy, you're influenced by what by what happens around you. So I would probably, you know, if you were to compare me to another stand-up, like I would have a lot more jokes about illness and health. Yeah. Um, than other comedians because that's what I'm surrounded by. So in comedy, your 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 inspiration comes from around you. So like, does that kind of stuff roll off the tongue? Does it? No, it doesn't. It it yeah. just it just sort of comes. Like the truth of it is, it would it wouldn't make any sense if a pharmacist like me was talking about how like my whole comedy was about office culture, right? And yeah. all these annoying yeah. things that people do in an office because I don't work in an office. So do you know what I mean? If someone like you'll have comedians who work in offices and they'll be able to do all these routines mm-hmm. about offices. You like teachers will be able to talk about children, like. But it, so it wouldn't make any sense for me to, to have these conversations. So a lot of yes, yeah, so a lot of my so it's predominantly based on what you what you do is for, for yeah yeah like for, I would say that the two the two big topics in my comedy are health related topics and politics because my dad was a politician and I was I grew up in an environment where I was one hundred percent submerged in politics. Oh okay. Yeah. Every dinner. <clears throat> what, what kind of party was he affiliated with? He was affiliated with the Fianna Fáil party. Oh, okay, yes, which yeah. Which yeah. the, the, the origins of this party will make no sense to anybody in England. They're making a comeback, though. They, they're back in government now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Michal Martin is the Prime Minister of Ireland now. He's mm. the Taoiseach of Ireland now. And he, he was a very good friend of my dad's. Wow. And, and I've, met, I've met Michal loads of times. Mm. And uh, he's a great guy. Like, uh, I've, I have a huge amount of time for him. He actually... My um my dad died two years ago, and oh, and, sorry. and when he died, Michal Martin, because Michal Martin was the leader of the opposition party in Ireland, Fianna Fáil party, which my dad was a member of. Michal Martin rang up my uncle the day before the funeral, and he said, uh, "I want to give the eulogy at the funeral." Wow! And my uncle said, uh, "You're too late. Someone else is already doing it." I was doing it. Oh wow! Well. <laughs> 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 right. And I'd say you would have you did a much better job than he would have done. So, that, so uh, Fianna Fáil, the, yeah. the political party, they want they wanted a copy a, a copy of what I was going to say before I said it in the church. Right now, I was lucky. I was so lucky. I had started stand up at this time, um, and one of the things I always said about doing stand up to people, but they always thought it was a bit nuts. Like one of the great side effects of doing something like stand up, it means that. When you get an opportunity to speak at a family event or a private do, a wedding or a birthday party or a funeral like that, yeah, you you're a confident public speaker. Yes, you're you're able to do it, and 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 to be able to do it on that stage is special. Yes, like it is, like there's it's special because when my dad died, there was seven hundred people in the cathedral in Longford, right? I got up and gave a five minute eulogy. And I made those people laugh twice. And my dad loved making people laugh. And my dad loved giving public speaks where he made people laugh. So it was I, a lovely tribute. Ah, yeah, yes, yeah, Perfect. yeah. Like it was, it was, it was brilliant. And and to be able to do that for my mother and everything was just was magical. Yeah. And and the only reason I was able to confidently do that was because I had done stand up. Yes. Yeah. It's a very powerful. And I didn't have to. I didn't have to write any notes. I didn't have to read from a script. I was able to go up. Pretty much speak off the cuff. Were you nervous at all? Then? I was Give nervous. I, did, I didn't sleep the night before. I was nervous. I was nervous, hmm. but I was confident. Yeah. Like it was. It was. I. I, I was nervous, and I. And I really wanted to do well, 
and like there was it it was a very strange thing for me because my dad had first got cancer five years earlier and he got bowel cancer and pharmacists or the medical people listening to this will kind of know the first time you get bowel cancer your survival rate is high so the first time you get it i think something like 80 percent of people will live right but if it comes back you're pretty much dead right right mm. and for a, a high percentage of people it will come back within five years and when it comes mm. back the second time it's usually a lot more aggressive and, and it comes a lot quicker so i knew that he had you know he had bowel cancer and i knew that there was you know i think instinctively i knew if he gets it again he'll be dead quickly mm. and i think i felt it probably would happen at some stage so, and then i also knew because of his political past i knew how big his funeral would be and i knew who would be at his funeral mm. yeah but i also knew that he would have loved for me to give the eulogy and he would have loved for me to be able to make everyone laugh yes yeah so i had it so like, so, I, so i never really admitted this to many people but for for a couple of years before he died i i thought about speaking at his funeral i used to think about it really? i used to right. i used to imagine what it would be like you're mentally preparing i was mentally preparing myself for it i mean in some in some i obviously i'll say, I'll say a painful memory for it, it's obviously a very sad occasion but at the same time in a weird way not a happy memory but a kind of that's a nice tribute to him. For me, it's a happy memory. For me, it's a happy memory. Like, do you know what I mean? My, mm. my, my dad lived to be 74. He, he, yeah. he lived a very successful life. He lived a very colourful life. He, he, had a, he had a great life. Like, you, you can't look at my dad's life in any kind of sorrowful way because no. it, it wasn't a sad no, life. No, no. He, he had a tremendous life. Yeah. And, and he was a very philosophical person too. He, he wouldn't... He wouldn't want any. He wouldn't want you to be no, looking, looking back and <clears throat> feeling sad. And and the the, the, the look at the funeral was was amazing. Like uh, Bertie Ahern, the ex prime minister of Ireland, he came to he wow, came to the funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was but yeah. in a weird way. I mean, it was obviously a special occasion for you personally. I mean, an important occasion for you personally. But it would would I don't know doing a. Um, a, a gig in at Wembley Stadium in front of I don't know hundred thousand fans. Yeah. It's been easier to do than doing that. I mean, uh, well, it's, it's, it's hundred thousand nerves. Okay. In terms of what it meant to you. Okay, yeah. all right. Let's, let's start this. <laughs> I don't think comedy can be done to that big of an audience, right? I don't uh, like. I think music. It's very hard for this question. Yeah, I don't yeah. think music, maybe it can. Like people have it. Like I think maybe twenty, thirty thousand people is kind of max. Um, I look at I, I would it's a different type of it's a different type of nerves it's a different type of thing I think something like speaking of that it is harder is harder the funeral then yeah because it has a personal resonance for you doesn't yeah it's it? pretty, and, and you know your, your family and everyone mm. is there and it's just um, it's just harder there's more things to consider if you make a mistake in front of 80,000 strangers who cares but if you do it in front of five yeah. or six people that you really mean a lot to you yeah, it's, it's a, but, the, but the other side, like, I don't mm. know, like the thing about it is you say make a mistake, but like the uh, comedy is such a free flowing thing. Like there's no, um, there's always mistakes, but there's never mistakes. Like the truth of it is every time I perform comedy, I will make a mistake, but you, it, no yeah. one will know I've made a mistake the key because, is you don't, because you don't know what I was trying to do to begin with. <laughs> 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 so, you know what I mean? And then the other, the other kind of beauty, like the, I suppose the safety valve you have in comedy that you probably don't have in a funeral setting is the safety valve you have in comedy is if it's going really bad 
you can talk about how it's going really bad and how it makes you feel uh, and that's always funny and you can't do that in a funeral, no you? so you mm. like you just have that so in comedy if once you get comfortable with with feeling a room and talking about what's going on and you talk about like it, you know if you do a show and everything starts going wrong and then you start talking about how everything's going wrong and if you feel really bad but people will people will think it's the funniest thing they've ever heard in their life it, yes do you yeah. know what I mean yeah like so can you can you remember your first gig your first <laughs> yeah, your, yeah. your very first one yeah I can remember the, like the, um, the first the first three gigs I had were in small pub rooms in two of them were in East London one of them was in North London and they were in very small basement rooms in pubs and there might have been 10 people in attendance for those three gigs yeah and I remember the first one well 10 in each gig 10 people <clears throat> yes there's no one there and, and yeah. I remember the first one I, I, I you get five minutes the five minutes start and and I, I remember that the very first one within those five minutes I made those 10 people laugh three times which I thought yeah. was incredible. I actually thought I'm gifted. I'm a, I'm a prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were Jack D or something? Yeah. You were now, <laughs> by professional comedy standards, you should be able to make people laugh 30 times in five minutes. That's wow. That's industry standard. Right? Yeah. So, three, so I did these three gigs, right? And then I booked myself into a thing called King Gong in the comedy store in London. Yes. Right? And you, you, this happens once a month. And you go there and the comedy store, it, it's the best comedy club in the world. It's like so, it just oozes class, prestige. You got like pictures of all the famous people on the wall. Yeah, yeah. Like it's laid out brilliantly. The is it intimidating? It's to be intimidating. The sound system is amazing, right? And anyone can go and what you do is you have 400 people and you go up on stage and you try and make them laugh. And if you're good, they... They let you do five minutes. If you're bad, they boo you off stage. Ouch! They boo and they're <laughs> and they're brutal. I, after doing three gigs to ten people, showed up at this room full of four hundred people, and I thought, I've got a chance. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly thought, I thought I could do it. Like I thought I could do it, and and I I, I jumped up on the stage like. Full of confidence. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been that confident on stage. Yeah, since. yeah, yeah. I jumped up, and I remember <laughs> I jumped up on the stage, right? And there was a couple in the front row, and, and I could just see the girl nudge the guy, and she pointed at me, and she went, he'll be good. Like, I looked the part, and I got up, and for two minutes, I just talked nonstop. And nobody laughed. And then they just booed me off. And I was, I was devastated. I was like, oh, no. I couldn't believe it. But I was like, and then King Gong, you can, you, anyone can do it. <clears throat> anyone could do it. You don't need any experience. Anyone can apply to do it. And if you, you need guts, don't you? You need guts. <laughs> but anyone can do it. Apply. But you can only do it every six months. So right, if you want right. to do it again. Where's that? Where's, where's King Gong? King Gong King... is in Leicester Square, Comedy Store, Leicester Square. Oh, yes. Once yes. a month. It's yeah. the last, last Sunday or the first Monday of the month or something like is that. Is it that little dingy looking nightclub thing on the outside you go in and it's yeah look it's just a door on the door. outside but yeah. when you go in it's like, there's nothing dingy about it when you go in it's state of the art it's, it's, it's like it's a fabulous place inside it, it would it would sell out a show every night of the week there could be nine shows yes, a week yeah. 
I think the late shows don't always sell out on a Friday, Saturday, but like Monday to Friday, Monday to Sunday, that place sounds like 400 people. People are paying 25, wow. 25 pound a ticket. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible. 400 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible um, institution. Yeah. Um, so you have six months to do it. So then I was like, okay. I was like, now that's my, that's my goal. That's my target. I, I said my goal was to go to King Kong and last five minutes. And I thought it would take me four years. And, and I went out and I went to loads of little gigs and every gig I went to, I was preparing for six months later, right? So the first time I've lasted two minutes. So six months later, I've done, I've gone gigging three to four times a week for six months. Right, into right. little rooms with audiences ranging from 10 people to 50 people, right? And I'm practicing, practicing and everything I'm doing is I'm trying to prepare for the, going back to the comedy store. And I went back six months later and I walked on stage and I told one joke and I got booed off stage. Oh, so, no. After six months? <laughs> after six months. Well, so, like, from lasting <clears throat> two minutes to putting in six months worth of <laughs> hard work. You must have been I was, utterly oh, demoralised. Like, did you think at that point, I might stop this now? No, do you know what? It was so weird because I was like, even though I got booed off stage a lot quicker <laughs> and, and the boos were a lot louder. <laughs> Like, <laughs> so, so kind of less brutal in a kind of oh more brutal it was, it more, was brutal. more brutal but I I did feel that I told a proper joke whereas the first time I didn't tell a proper joke yeah. so this time even though I had done a lot worse structurally I had done something a bit better so then I went off so then I was like okay it was a bad joke it wasn't a nice joke but the structure was good the structure was right can you say what the joke was? I'm on, I never, I've never said it again, and I'll never say it again, and hopefully nobody has any footage of that joke, because you're, you're, you're still only kind of learning, you know, and, and a lot of comedians, a lot of great yeah. comedians, and I suppose a lot of the more famous comedians, they do kind of darker material and everything like that, but, but, but what you don't realise is the, the, it, you have to be highly skilled to do that type of material. But darker material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you say darker material, what are you talking, you're talking about? Um, yeah, just, just it, look. Controversial it, stuff? Yeah, no, just darker, like, you know, blacker humour, blacker sense of oh, humour. Okay. Like, just yeah. about, I suppose, it's about making fun of, of aspects of life that are less pleasant. Okay, okay, right. And, like, and, like illnesses or... Uh -huh. Like illnesses or... Um, no, no. I suppose the best example would be like you got like Frankie Boyle will have a lot of jokes about paedophilia and paedophiles. Right, yeah. Right. Now, if you want to go cracking jokes about paedophiles and paedophilia, like you got to be skillful. Like because if you get the tone wrong, if you get the wording wrong, it's just offensive. There'll be a lot of uncomfortable silences. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jimmy Carr, like Jimmy Carr is yeah. a master at making jokes about topics that seem off limits. Yeah. But he just treads the board. And you gotta remember, like what I suppose what people don't realise until you've really gone into comedy is, you know, when they say those jokes and everyone laughs, they're not laughing they're laughing because of the skill of how that joke was told. Because it's, it's very easy to fall into the trap to think that that person <coughs> has just said something offensive and made yeah. everyone laugh. Yeah. But if you want to go to King Kong and say something offensive that has no comedic structure you will see that saying stuff offensive does not make people laugh <laughs> no i just think so that, it that, does that not that old no. saying is how you tell them really how, does ring oh, true it's doesn't so it important. Yeah. it's so important and and yeah. then what you see the other thing what the comedian is doing is the comedian is actually feeling out where society is on issues yes yeah so society is always changing 
our views and opinions on different topics are always slightly changing. Mm. And the comedian is better placed than most people to see those changes because the comedian is always testing what they say on an audience yeah. and taking feedback yeah. from the audience. So, um, you know, you can have a joke that it, it, it gets a laugh in some places and not other places and then you can get a feel for it and you think okay maybe the reason that joke doesn't do so well is because the premise and the thinking behind that joke is a little bit out of date right okay yeah so, yeah. Then, so you need to modernize it so people won't they won't laugh they won't really laugh if they disagree with you oh no of course if no. they don't like it and if it goes wrong it yeah. must be a horrible moment like <laughs> if you walk on stage yeah. and they think I don't like this person and I don't agree with what they have to say they'll find it hard to laugh at you, even if you're funny. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a very much... So that's why comedy is so important, because comedy gives a more... Probably gives a more accurate feel for how people really think than, say, the tabloids yeah. or the media. Yeah. I think it's probably more accurate because it's constantly been tested. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I mean so how long, how long have you been a comedian? So I've been doing it th- three years. Three years. Three years, yeah. So did you, did you kind of start... Because it, in a way, it was, it was a way to sort of kind of alleviate some of the work pressures you were having as a father sister. No, or, no, or, no, there, no. There was never, never, never anything like that. Um, I think. Look, I think, I think from a very young age, I wanted to be a performer. Uh, I can't really explain it. Um, and like, I was never a kid who was in a school play. Or, or like a musical or anything like that. Like I was never, I, I, I don't think I particularly like attention. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I do. I don't know if I don't. <laughs> I like. I honestly don't know if I do. If I don't, know, I don't. But like a lot of the, a lot of the performing that you have access to when you're growing up, particularly where I grew up, where there wasn't a lot of access to performing. It just it wasn't very real or proud. Like it was like mu- you could be in a musical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or you could be in like a, a Christmas play or something. I'd never had any interest in that. But like Shakespeare and stuff. Like I would have loved to have been in Shakespearean plays and serious stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? I I've yeah. There's something I love something about a performer that can move people. You know, when you go to a play and you can see someone captivate the whole audience and everybody is hanging under every word. And then they can make them feel sad. They can make them Patch feel powerful happy. feeling, isn't oh, it? I, to me, it's magical. I don't know what it is. It's magical. And I think a lot of it comes from politics too, because like I, I, I think a lot about like the great political um, guys of the Victorian era yeah. who used to go out and give speeches to like mass gatherings without microphones. Like yeah. William Gladstone, yeah. Benjamin Disraeli, Daniel O'Connor. These people used to go out to rallies to be 10, 20,000 people there. And they, <laughs> they would stand out in the lash and rain. And these speeches could go on for three, four hours. And they, With no he, script? No probably. script, <clears throat> you just know? Off the cuff. And just, yeah. and like, I don't know what it is about public, like, it's, I ju- there's just something ma- I don't know what it is so what you're saying is Peter is that, that, that you're, you're very close to actually going out in front of 60,000 people with no script no no, no microphone no, and just no, <laughs> and just letting it rip basically no no I don't, I don't think I ever do that like I do like uh, and, and to be fair yeah. look, those politicians they didn't do it all off script they no. didn't have script but they did yeah. they did think about what they were going to say and they did prepare and that's why I kind of stand you, 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 you have the backbone of what you're going to say mm. but if you feel a bit on the moment and you can go a bit off cuff that's good yeah. so like Ross Noble would be the best at going off cuff in comedy 
Like he's the best. No one's as good as him at it. And he says that a good show for him, a great show for him, is where sixty percent is improv, forty percent is scripted. Well, okay. Mm. And a and a bad show is where forty percent is is improv and sixty percent scripted. So he basically he he goes to go off script and to go like that, but he's got stuff to fall back on. If it's losing a bit of momentum, you've got to be thinking on your feet, though, haven't you? If you're yeah, 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 yeah. Sixty percent improvisation. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and the weirdest thing about it is, this is this is this is the other like this is the other part of it I love too. Like, you know, to to think quickly on stage, to mm. be quick witted on stage, you actually need to be really relaxed and you need to be thinking really slowly. Right. You need to be right. really calm. Yes. But it looks like, you you know you're hyper but actually you, you, if, the, inside ca- you, yeah. ca- the camera better like yeah. it's all about learning the techniques of how to do it now the other thing too before I did stand up I did acting classes to learn how to be a public speaker to uh-huh. learn all the technique about body movement eye contact yeah how to how to how to breathe properly how to project your voice how to use your hands all of that so it's like putting it all Putting it all together. Yeah, yeah, and Do that's that's the fun of it. Absolutely, it sounds, it sounds like, it, it, to me it sounds daunting, but but you're making it sound like it's achievable and fun. It, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. like I suppose. Look, at the the great illusion. Not that I'm going to be a stand-up comic. The, by the, the, way, the, the, the great illusion of, of of stand-up is it's it's like say if you see someone okay say you see someone skiing for the first time you've never seen anyone yeah. ski and you look up and there's a guy he's on a pair of skis and he he is flying down a mountain and you just think. First time you see it, you would think that there's no control there. You don't realize there's so much technique. Yeah. And that, like, you know, he's moving the skis this way and that way. And actually, even though it looks like the person is flying uncontrollably down the mountain, they are in complete control all the time. Yeah. And they are using... Remaining calm, I suppose. They're remaining calm and they've got technique and they've slowly built up to that skill. And that's the same with comedy. Like, you, the illusion is it looks like you have just stepped out of the crowd stood up on a stage and started talking. Right. But you haven't. You've spent years cultivating skill sets to do that and techniques. Right. And there's loads of tricks and techniques that you're falling back on. Yeah. So it's an illusion. Yes. And the reason it's an illusion is because people always see people how they see themselves. So you don't see all the work that went on behind the scenes. And you start imagining, what if someone asked me to get up and speak now? And you start comparing yourself yeah. to this person. But what you don't realise is they have spent yeah. hundreds of hours behind the scenes. Yes, yeah. Practising that all the time. They make it look seamless, I must say. I've got a couple of questions um, yeah. to, to sort of finish on. Really. The first one is, um, do, you, do you, have you, since you started your stand-up comedy, have you, got, have you found that you've had more abuse as a stand-up comic or as a pharmacist? Oh, like way more as a pharmacist. Like I tell you, you know. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that. Sorry, but <laughs> it's, it's not funny. But the world, the world but, is a funny place. Yeah. Like the world is genuinely a funny place. Like the world, does, mm. we live in a world that makes no sense. Yeah. Right? Absolutely no sense, right? Because, for me as a pharmacist, I studied, from all my life. I went to school, and my parents pushed me to get the highest grades I could possibly get in school, mm. and I worked really hard, right? And then as a teenager. I decided I want to do pharmacy. And then for a couple of years, I had this focus to get the grades good enough to get into pharmacy. And it was not easy. It was really, really difficult. And it was a high level of intense output. Yeah. 
for yeah. a long pro- period of time. A lot of hard work. Yeah. To get to get there, mm. with a lot of people helping me, you know, different teachers um, and and family, and then you get there, and then the course is extremely difficult. Yeah, it is not an easy course. It is really, really, really hard, and then you get through that. And then you've got a really tough job and you've got so there's so many things you have to do to like to be a typical a pharmacist running a, a community pharmacy is a highly competent highly skilled yeah um operator like it's it's tough yes. it is hard Absolutely. right but people outside pharmacy don't really see that i don't know mm. why they don't see it they just don't see it. people think it's easy to be a pharmacist they think they don't think it's hard to become a pharmacist they don't think pharmacists are that anything special about them, and well, I, I think they probably think they're shopkeepers, don't they? Rather yeah, than they, they, they people see it in ridiculous. a very belittling, belittling way, right? Yeah. Now, comedy isn't that hard, right? <laughs> it isn't actually that hard compared right. to pharmacy. It's not hard at all. Right. Like it, it's actually really easy. But isn't isn't it's isn't comedy? What, what you need to do to get good at comedy is really easy compared to what you need to do to become a pharmacist, right? But when you go on stage and you make people laugh for five minutes, they think you are incredible. They are in awe of you and they're all over you. And they're just, they, they, they're so awestruck by you. But isn't and they shouldn't be. They no. shouldn't be awestruck by you for being a pharmacist. But not a co- comedy's easy. Yeah. Pharmacy's hard. Well, I'm going to be throwing something in. And I'm not, this is not me. This is just, a, <clears throat> I'm throwing yeah. it in there. But it, isn't, there a, isn't it a case of... As a, as a comedian, it's a case of you've either got it or you haven't got it to be a comedic genius. But pharmacy, you, you work hard, even if you're in some way limited, yeah. you can still make it. No, no, you can't yeah. make it, you can't make it. There is a, like, you work the, 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 the majority of the population are not genetically smart enough to be a pharmacist. Right. Not good enough. Yeah. Like, you work hard all you want. If you, if you do not have, uh, like, if you do not have the acronym or, or the, uh, what's the word, altitude or whatever? Aptitude, yeah. Aptitude yeah. for like maths and chemistry and physics yeah. and science subjects mm. and, and, and <clears throat> maths and probabilities. I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to get on a pharmacy course and you're not going to pass that course. No. You need to be smart to be a pharmacist. You of need course. to be yeah. really, really yeah. smart. I'm going to tell, tell you here now, the average pharmacist is smarter than the average comedian. Right. 100 percent yeah yeah, yeah. 100 like yeah. you've got to be and you, hard work won't get you through pharmacy if you do not if you are not naturally good at science and maths yes yeah. hard work's not going to get you there yeah uh comedy um is different like there there are comedians who aren't smart but, uh, but in terms of <coughs> but, I but likewise you probably you do need i i will yeah. agree with you you do need to have some instinctive comedic timing yeah, which yeah. you either have or you just don't, you either can't have you. learn. Really. I don't think you can learn it. I think you could, mm. you might be able to get away with it because there is a process to comedy. Like, so ba- the basic process of comedy is very simple. You come up with ideas, you write them down, you don't write them down, you, 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 you make them very tightly worded or you make them loosely worded and you stand in front of a group of people and you say these words and you record it to see if they laugh. And if they laugh, you keep it. And if they don't, you get rid of it. Yeah. And you just do that over and over and over and over again until eventually you've got an hour that you know will make everybody laugh. It's not, it, the process is very similar to actually the process of discovering drugs because that's what you do with drugs. You, you get chemical compounds and you test to see if it works. And if something works, you keep it. And if it doesn't, you change it. Right. And you just constantly. So yeah. it, the, the, that's why I find it incredible that there's not more pharmacists doing comedy because 
it's actually very similar. Yes. It's it's la it's testing stuff in a lab. Yeah. yeah like yeah. pharmacists <clears throat> like there are a lot of there are some comedians who don't really understand that scientific process mm. of comedy. Yeah. Mo- most do. There there are the odd comedian who is just has got funny bones. Like yes. I, I would kind of yeah. say like someone like Robin Williams, right? So Robin Williams I wouldn't think he really did that process where he recorded what he was saying and told it. I, I think he's just... A genius. He's well, just, was a genius. Yeah, yeah. he's just a genius. Like, he's <clears throat> just like... He's like hanging out with like yeah. a little child. He's just got so much freedom and flow and, you know, it's just it's different class. Yeah, yeah. But like then say, you know, your Frankie Boyles or your Jimmy Carrots, that's very scientific comedy. That's more, more textbook. Oh, that's very textbook. That's yeah. very... Like, Williams, I, I, natural I've, seen, I've seen Frankie Boyle stand on stage with an Air Force sheet of paper and he just reads out joke after joke after joke and people might laugh at one in 20 or one in 30 and he just draws a line through it all and he just does that for hours and hours on end. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah. and, and that, that's just it's very scientific. That's dedication. Absolutely. That's a very scientific approach to comedy. But I'm sorry, I, I, that's why I'm surprised there's not more pharmacy. Maybe, yeah. maybe, well, maybe after <coughs> maybe people hear about me, like the, the whole of pharmacy might want to try and become comedians. Well, after this podcast, maybe maybe they'll come out the woodwork and they'll, they'll, yeah. be it. they'll, they'll, they'll start. I just want to ask you lastly though, um, do, are you, do you think you'll stay in pharmacy and eventually the comedy will, will subside or will it be the other way? Do you think eventually you'll, you'll become a, a, farm, a comedian and then eventually the, you won't be a pharmacist anymore? What, what, what would you want to do So I, I the choice? The, 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 the honest answer to this is the most important factor for this will be how my personal life pans out. Yeah. Um, for me, I want to just keep doing comedy. And, and, and my goal would be to like, so in the last year, I started getting paid for the odd gig. So yeah. uh, April, okay, so we had the lockdown in April. So for the month of, the month of April mm. was, was gonna be a big month for me for comedy. In the month of April, the Frog and Bucket Club in Liverpool, which is the club that James Manfield, Mansford started from. Oh yes. Peter Kay, a lot of famous comedians like started out there. So they were paying me £60 to do 15 minutes on a Thursday night. So that's like, a, that's a paid gig in a, in a big club. Wow. Um, so, and, and, and the Comedy Store in Manchester, I was meant to do like a 10 minute unpaid tryout spot. So I, w- I was getting into these kind of middle spots that are tryout spots where mm. sometimes they pay you, sometimes <coughs> they don't pay you, or if they do pay you, it's only like yeah. 50, 60 quid. It's not big, it's not, you couldn't live off it, right? It's not big money. But it, it means that I'm probably about two or three years away from getting 20 minute spots in these clubs and getting paid a little bit more. Well, and making a living for it, or not I quite still, still. Think, I still think you would need a day job. You, I, you could probably get to a point where, I think if you were regularly playing all these clubs on the weekend, you could probably go to part-time pharmacy. I think you could work three days a week as a pharmacist. Okay. And I think you, you, if I think you could, if you work three days a week as a pharmacist, and you did these clubs on the weekend, I think you would have the same money as a full time pharmacist. Do you think you'll ever get to a stage where you and are then, a top class comedian? So, so then, if you get there, so now you're in the club, so you 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 can you you can hold your own. You you you're worth the hundred quid for your twenty minutes or whatever, right? Yeah. Then what you're trying to do then is, can you make a name for yourself? So can you sell tickets? So 
what you're doing then is you're playing in clubs that have reputations. So when people go to the comedy store, they go to Frog and Bucket, they go to Hot Water, they go to these places, they don't really go for the name. They go because they know it's going to be high quality comedians. Okay, and that's fine. And But the next stage then is, can you put on a show in a theatre in a town like, say, Guildford, and people will come out and pay money just to see you? Right. Can you sell tickets? That's, That's the, the asset element. test, is it? Yeah. Now, if you can sell tickets, you'll be in a deal. Right, well. Like, are you, are you, do you think so, so selling tickets, so going from like performing weekend spots in the clubs to, to being able to sell tickets is, is like a pharmacist going from managing a community pharmacy to owning one. Yeah. It's that, it's, you know, a lot more responsibility, a lot more pressure. It's you now, but you have to... Do you think, do you think you'll make it? Um... Do you want to make it? I, I do want to make it. Yeah, one hundred percent. Do want to make it. I, I, it, there's just no way in all. That's that's. I, I think I have a chance. You give it a good go. I think then. I have a yeah. chance. You do need luck. You do need luck. Like the, the truth of it is, to really do that, you, you, you really need to get lucky. And where you need to get lucky is you need to get a good agent to sign you. Yeah. Good management yeah. company. Absolutely. Now the ideal would be that you perform in the clubs, and all these clubs have management arms to them. So. Up the Creek Comedy Club in Greenwich, great comedy club. They have a management team that has a very small pool of, of comedians, but a lot of them are on TV, a lot of them are on TV shows, so they're yeah, really yeah. on it. Yeah. Comedy Store also has a, has a management arm, um, and then the, Off the Curb is the most famous and the big one. Yeah. So if you get in with a management team, and then what they will do is, there's the, the two things, that they'll either get you on telly, right? You, you know, they might get you a sitcom, sketch show, but also they get you on things like Celebrity Bake Off or Celebrity Goggle Box or I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here. They get you and that yeah. helps build your profile and that kind of helps you sell tickets. <clears throat> but another thing they do, which would probably interest me a lot more is they will then use you to open for people who are already famous. Okay. So right. they, they yeah. can, they'll get, yeah. so, if, so if, if an agent signs me, say, and they already have a famous act, they will put me on tour with that act to help so, there's, so, there are, so you don't have to do it all by yourself. No, no. But well, another thing that's quite interesting, there are people who are selling out arenas in the UK who didn't do it that way, who did it off YouTube videos and Facebook videos. Yeah. So at the minute, so it's... You've got a few avenues. There's loads of avenues. Yeah, so you, yeah. you, you got, like, you, which one is going to open for you? Maybe none of them will open for you. Like, so you've got you to gotta hustle yourself and try open an avenue yourself. But you're always parallelly hoping that maybe someone yeah. else will come along and bring, and bring you down their pathway. You know? Well, look forward to uh, Peter Kelly with the London Palladium or uh, Peter <laughs> Kelly, you know, with, uh, yeah, live with, at the Apollo. Live at the Apollo. Jack D, the kind of yeah. uh, secondary act to, uh, to Peter Kelly. That'd be quite good. But um, thank, thanks, thanks very much, Peter. We no enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. Cheers.